Over the last couple of Sundays, we've been using John chapter 3, verse 16, as kind of our starting point, and we've been focusing on the gift of Christ during this Christmas season. And we've seen that Christ is the greatest gift that could have possibly been given. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it tells us that God loved the world, and that's the motivation for the gift. In other words, there was nothing in us that brought Christ down. There's nothing in us that made us worthy for God to send Christ to us. The whole complete motivation for the gift of Christ arose from within the character of God himself. He is love. He is grace. He is mercy. He is compassion. And out of his own desire and will to give and to save He gave Christ. And so it was motivated by love. And we also saw last week that in the giving of Christ, that it was not just the giving of him in coming down to live among us and with us. It was also the giving of him to the ultimate sacrifice of death on the cross of Calvary. Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus humbled himself. He was equal with God. In full glory, God, full deity, essence, God. But he willingly humbled himself and took upon him the form of a man and the form of a servant. He came to serve. He came to give his life for others in compassion, in ministry, in healing, but ultimately to give his life on the death of the cross. Why? To redeem us. To redeem us, to buy us back, to purchase our freedom from bondage, and to bring us to God. Jesus gave himself for us. So God loved the world, he loved a sinful world, and he gave the the most precious gift that he could have given in the gift of his son. And it was the most sacrificial gift that could have been given in the death of Christ to redeem us on the cross of Calvary. John 3.16 tells us that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. And so in giving us the gift of Christ, he loved us, he sent Christ to redeem us, and now our proper response to that gift is one of simple faith. Simple faith, trust in Jesus Christ in his person, in his work, in all who he is and all that he has done, our whole complete trust is in him. He is the object of our faith. And he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the source of our salvation. And so all of our focus, all of our hope, all of our trust is in him. And that's what I want to focus on this morning is Christ as the object of our faith, or we might even say the rock of our faith or the cornerstone of our faith. John 3.16 tells us that whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. And throughout the whole gospel of John, we see that faith, belief in Jesus is a core theme for John throughout his whole gospel. And you read through the Gospel of John and you see place after place where Jesus himself, in his own words, or John the Apostle, through his reflections on the life of Jesus, he shows us that the response to Jesus' life 
and his death and his resurrection from the grave is faith in him. Faith. First thing that I want us to think about this morning with Jesus as the object of our faith is that it is not how much faith you have. It is the object of your faith that makes the difference. It is not how much faith you have. It is the object of your faith. It is that your faith is in Jesus Christ. The reason I say that is because in popular culture today, sometimes you hear the word faith tossed around a lot in all kinds of different contexts. And sometimes faith can come across as like a substance, like you have, something that you possess. And, you, and people have it in different measure. And you've just got to have strong faith, or you've got to have more faith. And sometimes we can get the idea, if we're not careful, that our salvation depends upon our faith. That is, how much of our faith we have or how strong our faith is, that our faith is always sure and never wavering. But what I want us to understand this morning is that what makes our salvation secure is Jesus. There are going to be times when our faith is going to waver. There are going to be times when there may be small doubts, maybe big doubts that enter into our minds. There will be times when we stumble. There will be times when we fall. But Jesus is secure, isn't he? So it's not how much faith you have or how steady your faith is. The point is, where is your faith directed? Is your faith in Jesus Christ? In John chapter 11, it was the incident of Lazarus's death and Jesus coming to be with his friends on the death of Lazarus. And Mary and Martha are distraught. His friends are weeping, they're crying. And Jesus seeks to comfort Martha and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That was Jesus' question to her. Do you believe this? That if you believe in me, you will live. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who should come into the world. That is the response of faith. It's who Jesus is, trusting in him. John 5, 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. John 6, 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. John 6, 47, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so Jesus is the object of our faith. Trust in him, faith in him. Secondly, I want us to think about the fact that faith in Jesus is an exclusive faith. So we're not trusting in ourselves. We're not trusting in how much faith we have, how strong our faith is, how unwavering our faith is. Our faith is in Jesus. 
He is our rock. He is our cornerstone. But the point that I'm making now, and the second point is, he is our only object of faith. Not just that he is our object of faith, but that he is our only object of faith. Because we are tempted to trust in other things, aren't we? We're tempted to put our hope, our trust, our security in other things. Now, people do that in all kinds of different ways. One way that people trust in other things is by trusting in other faiths, other religions, right? They trust other ways of getting them to heaven, whether it be through Islam or through Judaism or through Hinduism or Buddhism. They trust other things. They believe other things, and they put their hope in that, and it will ultimately fail them. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through me. Acts 4.12 says that there is salvation found in no other name than in the name of Jesus Christ. And so people seek salvation, they seek hope, they seek eternal life, they seek fulfillment in all kinds of different ways. But there is only one way, isn't there? It is an exclusive faith. But also, it's an exclusive faith, not just in the sense of other religions, that Jesus is the only way, but, it, but Jesus is also the exclusive object of our faith in that sometimes we can put our trust in ourselves. Sometimes we think that if we do enough good things, that that will earn heaven for us. Or, or we put our hope or our trust in the religious rites or ceremonies that maybe we've gone through. We put our hope maybe in baptism or we put our hope in the fact that we're united or, or members of a church. We put our hope in communion or whatever it is. Any of these religious rituals or ceremonies, we think that that is what makes us secure before God. Or we think that it's how much charity we give or how good we are or abstaining from certain sins. And we can tend to put our hope, our focus on other things other than on the one thing that guarantees our salvation. And that is Christ. What guarantees your salvation is not you. It's not your works. It's not how good you are. It's not how, how few times you've lied. None of that can guarantee your salvation. It's not that you've been baptized. It's not that you belong to a church. None of that can guarantee your salvation. Only Christ can. So it's an exclusive faith. No other objects of faith, no other means of salvation. He is the only way. We read in Scripture also that faith in Jesus is an abiding faith. It's an abiding faith. In other words, faith in Jesus, the source of our salvation, the object of our faith, it is not a, a one-time act. There will be a point in time when God moves in the heart of an unbeliever and awakens them to salvation, and they place their trust in Jesus Christ for the very first time, but that is not a single act that then ends at that point, is it? Faith in Jesus begins at a point in time with the work of the Holy Spirit, but it is ongoing. And it's an abiding faith. It's a, a faith that rests, that continues in Jesus Christ, linked to him, united with him. We see passages in the scripture that, that emphasize this point. Jesus says to the Jews who responded to him and who believed in him in John eight thirty one. 
He said, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. One of the most famous passages about abiding, remaining in Christ is in John 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He says in John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we see the emphasis of Jesus teaching his disciples that faith, real faith in Jesus and abiding faith in Jesus is one that remains in him, that continues in him. Faith in Jesus is an abiding faith. That means that faith is something that we think about every day. We think about Jesus every day. Every day, he should be the object of our focus. As Paul would say in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. For him, his whole life was about Christ. His life was built on Christ. His eternity was built on Christ, was hoped in Christ. And his activities in life were focused on bringing glory to Christ. And that should be our focus as well. Abiding in Him. Faith in Jesus. Fourthly, we read in Scripture that faith in Jesus is an active faith. It's an active faith. Now, I said a moment ago that you can put your trust in nothing else than in Jesus. You can't trust your works. You can't trust your good deeds. You can't trust any religious activities that you've done. And that is absolutely true. Your faith must be in Jesus and in Jesus alone. But we do read in Scripture that faith, faith that is in Jesus, faith that saves, is an active faith, isn't it? It's an active faith. We read in James chapter 2, verse 14, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but is nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And so faith in Jesus, it's not a one-time act. It's an abiding faith that on goes throughout our whole lives. And it's a faith that responds to Christ with activity, with good deeds, with works. It's an active faith. You say, how can all of this be? How can all of this come about in our lives? How can we stop putting our trust in ourselves and put our trust exclusively in Christ? How is it that, that we can have a faith that doesn't fail, that, that abides in Christ throughout our lives? How is it that we can have a faith that produces fruit and is active. How does all this happen? And the last point that I want to make this morning is that it does not happen from you. It happens from God. 
Because faith in Jesus is a graciously given faith. Faith in Jesus is a graciously given faith. The only way that your faith can abide is because it is a God-wrought, a spirit-wrought faith. The only way that your faith can be active and do good deeds and produce fruit is because it is a spirit-wrought faith. It is a graciously given faith. We read in John chapter 1, verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That is Jesus, the true light. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And so you see in the life of Jesus, and you see it throughout his ministry, that a large, large number, probably even the majority, you would say, of the people in Israel in Jesus' day did not believe in him. Though he was the light of the world, though he was their creator, though he was their long-promised Messiah, they missed it, and they did not see it, and they did not believe. But, John says in John 1.12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then he says in verse 13, who were born, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, not of the will of the Father, but they were born of God. Born of God. How, what is the difference? How is it that some did not receive Jesus and some received Jesus? The answer is because the ones who received him were born of God. There is a graciously wrought faith in them. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In other words, the whole package is a gift from God, including the faith that justifies. One commentator puts it this way, writing about John 1, 12 and 13. He says, Nothing human, however great or excellent, can bring about the birth of which he speaks. Over against this, John sets the way that people are born into the heavenly family. The new birth is always sheer miracle. All human initiative is ruled out. People are born of God. They can be born into the heavenly family in no other way. It is a graciously given faith. And so therefore, because it is a graciously given faith, it can be active. It can abide. It can maintain its sole focus on Christ and Christ alone because it is a spirit-wrought faith. And so my prayer for you today, I think, is, is twofold. One, if you're an unbeliever today, if you're not a Christian, if you're not sure about where your hope, your trust is for eternal life, then let me urge you, let me appeal, exhort you, put your hope in Christ.
trust him and him alone. He is the only sure foundation. He is the only sure hope for eternal life. In what he has done in his life of perfect righteousness and what he did by giving himself to the sacrifice of the death of the cross and in rising again from the dead and now ascending to the right hand of the Father, all of that is your sure foundation for eternal life. Trust in him. If you are a believer in Christ, then let me encourage you, exhort you with this. This Christmas season, remember that. Be thankful for that. Be grateful for the gift of Christ. And that through simple faith in him, you have eternal life. And that it's all of God. It's not of you. It's not of our works. It's not of how good we are. It is all of Christ. And so as you're gathered around your family living room, as you're gathered around the tree, as you're even opening presents that you've given to one another, remember the best gift that's ever been given. And that's Christ. And remember that because of him, you have life. So may your hope, your whole hope be in him. And may he be the center of your lives this Christmas, but every day. Because he is our Savior and our Lord, the most precious gift of God, given of love. Let's put our faith in him. Let's bow in prayer together. Our gracious Lord, we just want to express to you our praise and our thankfulness for all that you have given to us by grace. We do not deserve in any way your salvation. We don't deserve to have our sins forgiven. We don't deserve to have the hope of life beyond death. We don't deserve to have the hope of heaven, the hope of a new earth, the hope of an eternity with you in joy and peace. We don't deserve any of that, Father, and yet you gave it. Out of your own love and mercy toward us, you gave it. And it cost your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, his life on the cross of Calvary. In bearing our sin upon himself and taking our guilt, bearing that weight of divine wrath for sin, he redeemed us. Lord, we trust in him. We believe in him. We believe that Jesus can save us and bring us home to God. Lord, we thank you for that precious gift. May you be honored. May you be glorified. May you be worshiped. May you be loved this Christmas season by your people. And may you be pleased to draw people to yourself in faith, even during this Christmas season. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.